Welcome to the Herb Walk Podcast with Jessica Baker. On today's episode, I interview Jane Bothwell, founder of Dandelion Herbal Center. We discuss the importance of herbal medicine, the future of cannabis, and much more. This is Jessica Baker, and I am here with Jane Bothwell, herbalist, educator, practitioner, and director of the Dandelion Herbal Center. Thanks for joining us, Jane. My pleasure, Jessica. (laughs) So why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about how you became interested in herbalism and basically what sparked your love of plant medicine? What sparked my love of plant medicine was basically the plants themselves. I started growing a garden. I started having a lot of houseplants. I started spending a lot of time in nature and noticed how the energetics of being around plants was so powerful and so healing. And so then I moved from growing plants and appreciating them to using them for medicine, hearing about the health food stores back in the 70s is when I first got interested in herbal medicine and that you could actually ingest herbs and that they would help you with colds and flus and all sorts of ailments. And so the first herbal remedy I remember taking was a garlic combination and I was starting to get a cold and my history had been that I would get a cold and then the cold would last for a week or maybe a little bit longer and go through its progression as a lot of us are familiar with. And one of my friends who owned a health food store who I just met said, why don't you try these garlic and a little bit of parsley capsules? And I bet that cold is only going to last three days. I said, well, that is definitely worth a try. And so I did it and took two capsules probably three or four times a day. And that cold actually did only last for three to four days. And I was sold. And that happens for a lot of people, I think. You take your first herbal remedy and you get great results. And then you're like, okay, what else can plants do? And you said that was in the 70s then? Yes. And was that in California? That was in Utah. Okay. Up in the mountains in Utah. Okay. So even in Utah in the 70s, there was a natural food store that you could go get some (laughs) supplements from? (laughs) Actually, yes. Called the Root Cellar. Oh, is it still there? No, it's not there anymore. Little tiny store, you know. And then when did you make the migration to Humboldt County? I made the migration first to Sonoma County, south of here, uh, to go to the California School of Herbal Studies because I decided I wanted to get some more training. And at that time, there was Holistic Life University in San Francisco and California School of Herbal Studies in Sonoma County. And so I decided on the California School of Herbal Studies. And I came out probably late 70s. Yeah, out to school there. And I was there for many years as a student. And then um, Rosemary Gladstar, who is the director of that school, said, you've been on the student side long enough, so I want you to start teaching. And I said, really? (laughs) I'm more comfortable being on the student side. And she said, well, you have a teaching credential, don't you? I said, yes, I do. So you have teaching skills. I used to teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in my past life. So she said, start teaching classes. So I started teaching classes and she said, all you need to know is more than the people that are going to come and listen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I said, okay, I can do that. So I started teaching there in probably the middle 80s and then later 80s moved up here to Humboldt County and started the Dandelion Herbal Center. 
Okay, so yeah, that's a good intro into the Dandelion Herbal Center. So you were a student at the California School of Herbal Studies, and then you became a teacher there. Mm -hmm. And then in the late 80s, you said you moved up here. Yes. And then did you immediately start Dandelion Herbal Center? Yes, I did. I'd already been teaching a lot of classes and, you know, that was my career. And so I said, yeah, I started Dandelion Herbal Center. And so um, tell our listeners a little bit about Dandelion Herbal Center. I mean, I know what it is. It was the first place I ever took an herb class. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but tell us a little bit about what you offered back then when you first started um, and then what you offer now. Okay. So it's, um, as you know, Humboldt County is pretty rural. So it's a rural education center and it's located on the same property as my home. I have a classroom there, um, indoor classroom, apothecary, kitchen. And then we have our outdoor classroom, which is all the beautiful woods and the gardens surrounding the school. And I teach people how to make different types of medicine. I teach people how to use um, plants in the wild for their medicine, how to ID them, how to collect them, dry them, store them. I teach people about food plants so that they can start incorporating a lot of wild foods into their gardens. And they always say, oh, I can't weed my garden anymore. I said, yes, you can. You can weed it into your salad bowl. (laughs) (laughs) And I also do some um, travel journeys. I um, currently, I take people to Costa Rica. We have a trip coming up in November, and then I have a trip on ethnobotanical tour uh, to Hawaii in January. And I've gone on trips to France and Italy and Mexico. And so I like taking people to different parts of the world and studying herbalism. And I also do ongoing classes um, once a month, classes once a week. Um, classes ranging from one day to a couple years of study. So I've noticed that with your program that it gets progressively, not that it gets progressively harder because I wouldn't say your classes are hard because they're way too heartfelt for that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, you have your beginning with herbs and then you can take your apprenticeship and then you used to offer the clinician after that. Do you still do the clinician series as well? Yes, I do. Yeah. That's going to start this January and it's once a week and it's advanced herb students and we bring clients in. And work with them, which is really exciting because the students can actually see, you know, how you're going to write a program for somebody, what works for people, what doesn't work. And up till that point, a lot of them have made lots of formulas for people, but a lot of those have been friends and family. And so to have somebody just from the community come in and you make formulas for them, it's really a good part of their education. Right, because then they actually get to see the follow through if yes. the formula was actually taken, and right. then um, if it if it worked, right, which is always the goal, but not always the case, right? <laughs> and different types of people, and learning how you write programs up differently depending on not only the ailment someone may be complaining about, but the type of person that is manifesting that ailment at that time. And then, as you know, you were a teacher, Jessica, and my visiting teacher program. <laughs> Which was a delight to have you there. That was fun. And that was full circle coming from a student to a teacher. Yes. And um, so I offer that program every other year where I have visiting herbalists come in. And it's a great um, opportunity for our community, I think, to study with different herbalists that have different approaches. And that's also geared for more advanced students. 
And super important up here because we are so isolated and rural that um, we have amazing teachers, but a lot of times, you know, we have to go to Portland or San Francisco or somewhere like that or Sonoma County right. to see, um, you know, the quote unquote big names, you right. know, in terms of if we want to see Rosemary Gladstar or Christopher Hobbs or everybody else that you've had up here. It's um, it's just a nice offering. I know everyone really appreciates it. <laughs> yeah. And then I get to visit with my friends that come up to teach. <laughs> yeah, because you've been, I mean, immersed in this herbal community since you went, you were a student at the California yes. school. I mean, that is the school that where, I mean, I feel like a lot of the names of herbalism that we've heard over the last 20 or 30 years, that was kind of a, um, I don't know if it was a gathering place or what, but there was just a lot of people there at the same time, it seems like with, uh, you know, making really good things happen. Well, there were so few opportunities for people to study herbalism. And so as soon as a, that herb school opened, people doing herbalism were all gravitated there. It's like, wow, somebody's opening a school? You know, let's all get together and share the information that we have. And so was it at that school that you guys chose to start the American Herbalist Guild, or did that happen somewhere else? I think that probably did happen at that school, or perhaps at Brighton Bush Hot Springs, where we would do um, annual herb gatherings. That might have been a product of one of those gatherings. Okay. Yeah. And Brighton Bush still has those herb gatherings. Yes, up they there. do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about your Costa Rica trip, because I know okay. that one's fun, and I yeah. hope one day to do it. And you do that trip with, do you always do that one with Rosemary Gladstar? I do. Okay. Yes. Yes. And um, we also do um, that with um, Stephen Brooks and Sarah Wu, our, our Costa Rican um, connections there, and they have Punta Mona um, Community, which is an amazing place in Costa Rica and they help organize all of it for us. So it's really a pleasure. We arrive, get on a bus, get toured all around, get amazing food, meet incredible people. We meet indigenous people and expats that are there doing some really amazing herb work. That's great. And how long is that trip? The trip is 10 days. And every year, every other year? We've been doing it every year, but I will probably do every other year now. Okay. Yeah. Just too much to do it all every year. <laughs> well, yeah. After a few years of doing trips in a row, then generally, you know, your signups drop off a little bit. And so then we usually do it every other year. Okay. Great. Yeah. And what's your next big trip? The, the Costa Rica trip this November. This November. Yes. And then next year. And then Hawaii in January. Oh, Hawaii is this January. Ha Hawaii is this January. Okay. So listeners, definitely this will be out before January. <laughs> so sign up for Jane Bothwell's Hawaii trip. Is it on the big island? It's on the big island and it's a week long trip and it's with um, Richard Lieberman. And he is a naturopathic physician who has a garden sanctuary near Javi. And Natalie Young is his partner, and she is a masseuse and a dancer, and they've lived there for a long time, and so they have a lot of connections with Native healers, and we're going to have an amazing time doing kava kava ceremonies and going up and doing ritual at the volcano and snorkeling and sailing and herbal spa day and make flower essences. And yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> and how long is that trip? That's a week. Okay. So you can go to Costa Rica for 10 days and Hawaii for a week if you wanted to do both of those trips. That's right. <laughs> and then you're really spoiled. 
Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with Jane Bothwell and we'll talk about one of your newest ventures, the Medical Cannabis Conference that you put on in Arcata, California. Okay. We are back with Jane Bothwell, the director of the Dandelion Herbal Center, herbalist, practitioner, and educator. We were just about to talk about the Medical Cannabis Conference that you've been putting on in Arcata, California. Um, Give us a little idea about what inspired you to put the the conference on and really your goal of hosting so many, um, you know, uh, speakers who are on the forefront of the cannabis industry. So what inspired me to put together this conference is that I started hearing a lot of stories from students and from other people about the wonderful benefits of cannabis as a topical medicine, as an internal medicine, and helping with epilepsy, obviously, that's all around the news, helping with insomnia, aches, pains, even having some effects, hopefully, for people who are fighting cancer. And so I I decided that I wanted to really hear from the most prominent people I could get in the cannabis education industry, and so that to bring to our community some really well-researched information about cannabis. And as you know, Humboldt County is famous for growing cannabis and has been for a long time. So there's a lot of people here who are already in that industry and a lot of people who are looking at wanting to really move more into the medical aspects of cannabis and move away from more of the recreational aspects of cannabis. And so in order to do that, you need a lot of education, I think. And so that was my inspiration for the conference. And I also wanted to bring together scientists and medical doctors and herbalists and growers and patients and all different types of people that were really involved and were being affected by cannabis. And so it really um, was amazing the two years that we've done it and we're planning it again this April, the 29th and 30th, that everybody was so respectful of each other. And really respectful of the different trainings that people had, the different points of view that people had. And everyone also is so appreciative of the information that they gathered and the connections that they made. And I think it's really made a very positive impact on the medical aspect of cannabis. That's wonderful that you're offering that. And we definitely need it because we are a community of knowing a lot about cannabis. But when it comes to really what's happening within the medical industry, especially with all the new information with research and studies. And just even if it's even practitioners now are keeping, you know, notes on dosaging for CBD and everything else. And maybe it's not, you know, what we consider a randomized controlled study, but we're still getting so much information from physicians and other healthcare practitioners about cannabis what do you see in terms of, you know, our local medical industry? Um, what do you see is going to happen as if legalization does happen? Do you think the conference at least will become more just on a cannabis conference in general? Or are you going to stick with the um, the medical aspect of it? Well, as an herbalist and my focus on 
is on, you know, what are the medical uses of plants? And of course, what that involves spiritual and emotional aspects and as well as physical. And so I hadn't really thought, Jessica, about changing the format <laughs> if it becomes legal. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I'm just curious. Yeah, you know. I don't. I, I think because as an herbalist, I feel too like it was my and is my responsibility as one of the main educators in this area to really educate people about the medical use of cannabis. And um, in my own classes, I feel like I, I do a very good job in educating people about nettles and echinacea and basil and oregano and sheep sorrel and all these wonderful plants. But I don't feel like I have the qualifications of educating people on the medical aspects of cannabis in a, as complete a way as I'd like to. So that's why I do the conference. It's like, let's bring in people who that's what they do all the time. And a lot of these people that have come to this conference as presenters have been working with medical cannabis for decades. So there's a wealth of experience and information that's shared with people. Yeah, I think it was last year that you had Ethan Russo, who yes. I think um, I've seen speak before, and anywhere he goes, he impresses everybody. Um, so to have Ethan Russo come and really speak um, from a spot, from a place that I think as herbalists we appreciate because he is a plant person. Yes, and he is about whole plant medicine. Yeah. Although he can research things down to the you know yeah. tiniest <laughs> amount of some pure particle, um, he really understands that it's important that we don't forget about the entire plant and the synergy of cannabis working with other medicinal plants. Um, so at least for me personally, I'm really glad somebody like him is in the industry reminding the other scientists that um, it's a plant and it's an herb and there are other herbs that we need to also research along with cannabis. Yeah. So, um, and Ethan will be coming back this year too. He'll oh, be, is he going to come speak again? Yeah. Right after last year's conference, he said, I hope that you invite me next year. <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad you've enjoyed yourself and we certainly have been honored to have you. So yes, you are invited. Oh, good. Yeah, I know he's great. He just put out a new article. I don't know if you're on his mailing list and it's all about the contaminants in Washington and Oregon within um, the medical industry. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of it was since it was legal too, but um just the scathing research on the contaminants within the products. So as somebody who's made plant medicine for a long time, what's your thought on all of these cannabis products that are coming out? Well, one of the classes that I feel, a couple classes that I um, definitely um, offer at the cannabis conference, one is about organic growing, because I feel like it's extremely important to grow organically, not just for the plant material that you end up with, but for the earth itself, that I think it's very important to not be using chemicals, herbicides, pesticides. And so I always have a that class. And then I have another class offered at the cannabis conference about what nutrients can you use and what herbicides could you use if you needed those? Uh, well, I guess they'd be pesticides. We don't want to kill the herb, but <laughs> that would be considered organic and friendly to the earth. And I think contaminants are a real issue. And part of it is, I think, because in the cannabis industry, you have people growing just because they are doing that 
to make money and they aren't necessarily plant people and they don't necessarily have experience as farmers and growers of plants. And so without that experience, you don't have the confidence and you tend to go more the commercial route of of using chemicals in your uh, growing your plants. And I'm a firm believer of that we need to grow organically and that we need to be very conscious of what we are using and putting into the earth. And into our bodies, especially into if our we're bo- saying it's a medical product. <laughs> yes, exactly. And as herbalists, we are supposed to be the, uh, you know, we're the antithesis of the pharmaceutical industry. We're like, we want whole plant product and we want it to be actually good for us and not harmful or yes. potentially harmful, Yes, you know. Yes. Especially and, if we have a compromised immune system. Right. Or we're children or something like that, you know. Yes. So with cannabis becoming, you know, everyone's new favorite plant, (laughs) new favorite plant medicine, where do you see that going in the future in terms of, do you feel like cannabis is kind of becoming the gateway herb for other people to learn about herbalism? Or do you think they're still disconnected from that? And they're not really thinking, you know, it's almost like this panacea, you know, it's like, this is the best plant that's ever lived. And it's like, well, nettle could be the best plant that's ever lived for you too, you know? I think that when a person begins infusing themselves with plant material, especially whole plant material grown in a healthy environment with good energy as well, that that essence becomes begins to vibrate in your being. And I think that that energetics that starts to happen attracts you to other plants as well. And so I I remember many years ago when herbs were first um, coming out in commercial products like beverages and and so that you would have, you know, a juice drink that would have echinacea in it or something. I talked to my herbalist friends, Michael Moore particularly, I remember talking to him and I, and I said, well, how much actual plant material could even be in that beverage? And he goes, not much at all, but people are getting more green noise and that's good. <laughs> and so I think it's that way when you're using plants and then you start tuning into that energetics of the plant world and you start opening up your eyes, hopefully that will happen, that more people will become interested in nettles and echinacea and yerbasanta and all the amazing array of healing plants that are available to us. And speaking of that array of healing plants, do you have a favorite or is it that Asking an herbalist their favorite herb is kind of a funny question, but because they we all say they're our favorite, but. right? <laughs> yeah, you teach a class, you go, and I love this one and this one, and you won't believe this one. So um, I guess nettles comes to mind because it is such an amazing plant as a food plant. It's absolutely delicious and nutritious. It's abundant. It's very easy to grow. Um, In this climate, we get a couple harvests a year, like the rains now are coming and the nettles are going to all start popping up. Matter of fact, I was out yesterday with a hearty group of herbalists in the pouring rain (laughs) doing an herb walk and we noticed the nettles are popping up and they're also so nutritious to make as a tea steeped overnight. By the morning, it tastes like vegetable broth. So it's an all-round really 
great food source and you can make rope out of the stems and it's a great medicine source for tonifying and strengthening and nourishing the body, which is an aspect of herbalism that I think is so valuable that we can really become nourished by these plants. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. There's, I feel like, especially in, I I don't want to say our culture, but when people ask me about herbs, they always want something for cleansing. I'm like, I need to detox. I'm like, there's something bad in me and I need to get it out. And I don't adhere to this philosophy of we're evil and we got to detox all the time. So I love it that you were just talking about how nourishing nettle is. Because when I think about herbalism, I feel like that is how I came into balance and health was with all these nourishing herbs. And it wasn't such a focus on getting bad things out as right. much as like bringing the good things in. Right. Um, so thank you for yeah. telling us and reminding everybody that, yeah, herbs are for nourishment. They're not just like an antiviral or an antibiotic or an anti something that is living, you know, that is getting bad things out of the body. They're actually here to, you know, provide us with nutrients and love and connection and all of these other things that aren't, that can't be filled out really on a research paper. And traditionally, (laughs) of course, they have been used for that because what's, it's flavor that we put herbs in our food for, but really the history of that is the nourishment and the medicinal value of oregano and thyme and garlic and parsley was put on our plate as a digestive bitter to eat after your meal. And now a lot of people just look at it as decoration, which it's decoration as well. But I always try to teach my students, like incorporate them in everything. You know, your food is your medicine. And so the best place to be putting your a lot of herbs is in your food. Yeah. And that's one reason why I love Chinese medicine too, because yeah, they're eating their herbs and their soup stocks and in their congees and everyday herbs are food. And it's not this like elusive thing that you feel like, oh, now I have to take my supplement. It's like, well, that's not herbalism. Just opening a pill is like you were missing that deeper connection with plants, which I think is the reason why all of us got into plant medicine was, yeah, we heard like, I like that phrase, the green noise. We heard the yeah. green noise and then it's like, oh, we, we have to listen deeper. What, what is that noise actually telling us? <laughs> and I think that most everybody can relate to the feeling that they get when they're in nature. And as a society, we really do honor nature and our national parks and the beauty of being outside and just immersing yourself in the energy of plants. And if we just take that a little step farther and really start thinking, okay, it is the energy of these plants that are helping me to heal right now. And then you take that another step, which is, well, I probably can't get out every day and walk around in nature and have my healing happen that way. Maybe you can, I hope so. (laughs) But so how about let's harvest those plants and drink tea of them, or let's put them in kimchi. Let's make soup from them and bring that green noise into our life by that avenue. That's wonderful. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Jane Bothwell talking more about spirit. I want to go deeper into this whole aspect of really what brought us to herbalism and um, what the plants are saying to us. So we're back with Jane Bothwell, director of the Dandelion Herbal Center, and we are talking about the spirit of herbalism and really what brought most of us to plant medicine is um, 
the spirit of the plants. You know, as having you as my first teacher, I felt really honored and lucky to have that immediately in my framework of, oh, you go out, you meditate with plants, you give them an offering, you sing them a song. Here's the song that they sing us. You know, it's all of these beautiful things that when I went to acupuncture school, some of my other, you know, colleagues in school did had never learned any plant medicine at all. And then they learned with this little sample with this Chinese name. And they had no real connection to the plant. So a lot of them never really wanted to pursue herbalism afterwards, which is it was the herbalism that got me into Chinese medicine. So as someone who definitely teaches your students how to speak to plants, what do you have to say about that in general? Well, teaching people to speak to plants and probably even more so listening to plants. (laughs) Yes. And I think that one of the causes of disease for us is disconnection. And that disconnection can be on a lot of different levels. And I think that by connecting with the natural world, people start feeling connected. They start feeling part of something bigger than themselves. They start noticing what's around them. They notice the dandelions coming up in the cracks in the sidewalks. And I think by beginning to acknowledge the natural world, that we start acknowledging a vibrational force that's within us that connects to the natural world. And just think about that. We we cohabitate this planet and we're dependent on each other. Just we can look at it from a scientific way that we breathe out carbon dioxide and that's our byproduct and the plants joyously breathe that in and their byproduct is oxygen. And so that connection right there is so powerful that we have. And I think that's been broken on an energetic level for a lot of people. And that once that gets connected again, then people start feeling connected to themselves and they start feeling more alive. They start feeling more attuned. They start feeling healthier and the energetics of those plants as you ingest them in tea. And that's why it's in other forms that you ingest them. And that's why it's so important, like you were talking earlier, Jessica, that we don't have contaminants in our medicine because that's what you're connecting with too. If you're drinking a tea of something that's been contaminated, then you're taking that vibrational energy into you too. And that creates disease. That doesn't create health and healing. And so as we become healthier and healthier, I think that that happens on all levels and that we begin to learn to be more compassionate people and more understanding and more respectful of what's around us. And it's a beautiful process that happens for people. The weeds are in the salad bowl (laughs) (laughs) or in the compost. (laughs) Another thing I like to teach people how to do to make compost. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely very important. Yeah. Um, Well, speaking of that ethereal world of the plants and that vibrational medicine that we tap into just walking through nature or ingesting a substance. Let's talk a little bit about flower essence. Um, and I know that in your class, I made my very first flower essence ever all those many years ago. Um, how do you work with flower essences and what do you see their um, role or not even their role, but how do you, how do you use flower essences with your clients? Flower essences are so powerful and materially, there's almost no plant substance 
in that material at all. And so it's very similar to a homeopathic preparation. And the flower essences work definitely on a vibrational healing energy field. And the idea with the flower essences is that if you can help a person's vibrational energy force to be attuned, then they're much less likely to even get sick in the first place. And that what we notice in people is you notice a change in mood, a change in behavior before you even see physical manifestations of illness in a person. So the flower essences address those changes in mood, changes in behavior, and so that hopefully that person will then not manifest physical ailments. And I've just seen such powerful changes happen for people, not only in preventing physical ailments, but in changing people's mindsets, because we all know that we can choose every moment how we want to react to something. And so the flower essences really, they come in and it's like Dr. Bach, who was the originator in our recorded history of flower essences, said that the flower essences flood you with the desired virtue. So the undesirable aspect melts just like snow melts in the sun. So it's all of a sudden you're able to relate to people that in the past you were really irritated by or they upset you, but the next time you can relate to them, you can come from a place that's a much healthier place and a much more whole and healing place. And so flower essences, I think, are so powerful. And as a society, we do acknowledge the healing power of flowers but it's more so bouquets, you know, it's being around flowers. Everybody knows your energy changes. And what do we do at funerals and weddings and graduations? And when you go to somebody's house for dinner, a really lovely, much appreciated thing is flowers. And that is because what those, how those flowers make us feel. They brighten our spirits, they even out our energy, they help us to become happier, healthier human beings. And I feel like acceptance. I mean, I feel like every time there's some rite of passage, whether it's wedding, funeral, graduation, all of those, it's almost like an acceptance of, you know, this was the end of something and this is the beginning of something yeah, new, which exactly. is huge when we're healing. Yeah. I feel like a huge part of our healing is just accepting what is and kind of letting go of what isn't or what, you know, some idea of what should be. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so do you work with gym essences too? I don't work with gem essences. And okay. not that I don't think that they're valuable. It's just I have a very full medicine basket. <laughs> yeah. I know it's hard to like incorporate it all. We're, we're also interested in all of it. Right. Um, one thing about flower essences that I love, like you mentioned, is the, um, the lack of plant material that's actually in there. Um, we all want people to use more herbs and be excited about herbalism. But what do you think about the sustainability that's that happens when we just deal with anything on such a large scale. And when we talk about, you know, you can walk into any Whole Foods in the U.S. Um, and see the same supplement companies selling large amounts. Even if there's only a small plant material in each pill, that still adds up collectively to be a lot of herbs that are used on the retail market today. Well, I think Jessica, it's a really good point to bring up because herbalism is so popular now and herbal medicine is in every household. And so many years ago, um, Rosemary Gladstar, one of our great pioneers in herbal medicine, and a number of the rest of us um, 
got together and formed an organization called United Plant Savers. And the reason that that organization was was formed and is still operating is to bring into our awareness sustainability of the plants that we are using as medicine in such great quantities. And so as herbalists, um, we get together in United Plant Savers and really look at, you know, which plants do we feel like are at risk right now, which ones are to watch, and bringing that uh, consciousness and awareness into the industry is really important. And when I was first studying herbalism, the focus was really all on wildcrafted plants being the most powerful medicine that you could have, plants that were just growing naturally in the wild. And they are very powerful medicines, but then we became aware that we really better support uh, sustainable organic growing of the plants because they're not limitless in the wild. And so in my classes, I always teach people about sustainable harvesting and um, how to repopulate the wild is a really important thing, I think, especially if you're anybody that's harvesting from the wild. Learn how those plants propagate and encourage more plants growing in the wild rather than less. But on a very large scale, I think it's really important that we support our organic farmers. And it also is another great business for people to to go into to farm herbs. And there's so many wonderful um, herb farms now in this country and all over the world where we can purchase really great, sustainably grown, organically grown um, plants. And I'm certainly not against using well-crafted plants. I just feel like we really need to focus on how those plants were harvested to make sure that it's sustainable and to teach people how to repopulate the wild. Yes, I totally agree. And I appreciate you saying that. I feel like even today when I look around and I'm a wild crafting, even on my own property, just even a few years, every year is so different. And I feel like we've been in a drought up here too. And a lot of the, um, that redwood ground cover, like, um, like the redwood sorrel mm-hmm. that used to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. The redwood sorrel is not there anymore. I've like asked people about it. I'm like, don't you remember this blanket of redwood sorrel that used to be here? And some people are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And I know that it's still here in patches, but just noticing the forest around my own house and um, how it changes. And so one year you think you can harvest a lot of plants and then the next year you realize that they didn't come up at all. Right. So really just being aware of um, the cycles of the plants and don't think that everything's just going to be the same that it was the year before. So in terms of, you mentioned organic growing of herbs being a good career, as someone who's been able to make a career in herbalism, where do you see the future for someone who's just becoming a budding herbalist or someone who's been making plant medicine for a long time? How do you see certification and regulation? Do you see that affecting or, you know, in a negative or a positive way, someone's, you know, potential career in herbalism down the road? Well, it's a tricky subject, and um, I think really creating a certification for herbalists, in my mind, is not necessarily something that would be a good move for our industry. And you mean certification on like a national level? Right. Yeah. Because the way that I feel about it is that every person has their own responsibility for choosing their healthcare providers. 
And there are a lot of people licensed that you and I would not go see, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) With long initials after their names. And so I really feel like even with certification that you really have to decide on your own who is a good person to help you with your health care. And I think that there's some people who are, would never go for certification and would probably not even fit the qualifications that certification would require that would be fabulous healers. And there's other people that would fit every one of those certifications to the T that I think were not necessarily very good healers. So I have not seen that certification is going to by any means guarantee that somebody is going to be a better professional herbalist than not. And especially in the field of herbalism, where you tend to get a little bit more of the renegades and the people who have said no to authority and the people who are out in the woods discovering the medicine. And I I think that it's just not geared necessarily towards um, a national type of certification. Yeah, no, I, as someone with a national certification for acupuncture, mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I mean, I know some acupuncturists who I would never walk in their office because they have no bedside manner, just seeing them out in public. And then there are people who are wonderful practitioners, but yet they aren't licensed because, you know, they were practicing before there was a certification or, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, it's such a tricky subject. Um, But what I have noticed and I do think is cool is um, there's so many more online herb schools and you do end up with a certification after the herb school, um, but it's not, you know, nationally, you know, recognized. But what I have noticed is a lot of online herbs, herb schools, and some of them, you know, will have programs where you actually show up in public in person and then other ones uh, like Rosemary's where it's all online and you Mm -hmm. get her books involved and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, What do you think about more online herb schools and the future of that? I think the fact that that makes it more accessible to more people is a very positive aspect of it. But I really feel like being with the plants, like you were mentioning earlier, Jessica, is a really important aspect of herbalism. And I think it's important to get to know the plants, to be with them, to make medicine from them. And that doesn't mean that you are always harvesting and growing your own plants by any means, or that you're even always making your own medicine, but that you've had that experience and you have that connection. Because I think that that's a real roots of herbalism is the art of the simpler the person that knows how to ID those plants and make simple medicines. And once you get that foundation, then certainly, you know, you can go on to purchase from other people, to have other people make your medicines. But I feel like it's important to have hands-on. I actually started my schooling on my own, and then I took Dominion Herbal College's correspondence course. And it was a wonderful course, but what I got from that or what that pushed me into was I need some live teachers. I need to have a teacher and I need to have the plants and I need to be with them. And that's what propelled me into the California School of Verbal Studies is, okay, I have a lot of knowledge, but I want to touch and feel and taste and 
I think that that's important, even just as a foundation. And uh, like you said, a lot of the online courses will have um, the part of it be, okay, here's a, a weekend or a week that you'll come to the school or you'll, you'll all meet and be together. So I think that that part is important. And I think we spend too much time in front of our computers. <laughs> I know. It's like we love, I love the offerings of herbalism and everything you can learn. But um, yeah, there's, it also, it does actually take us away from being outside. Mm-hmm. It really does. And that is a, such an important part. I mean, like I said, in acupuncture school, very few people were actually interested in the herbs because we didn't actually get to connect with them the way we do in the herbal programs, or at least the uh, the herbal programs of yesteryear. Right. Since it's it's changing so quickly, especially with all the online learning. And so you're probably aware now that we have a new dis-ease or illness called um, nature deficit disorder. Oh my gosh. Yes. And this is mostly in children that they're noticing it. And it's actually documented now. And so what are the signs? Just depression and disconnection? Yes, depression and disconnection and um, unhealthier eating habits and, you know, more obesity and less physical um, stamina and energy. And yeah, because kids are in front of electronics and they aren't in the neighborhood playing kick the can like when we were kids. Right. So uh, yeah, nature deficit disorder. I'll have to look that one up. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of that one, but I feel like I have that in Denver. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though I can see the mountains in the distance and I'm at the Botanic Gardens and it's beautiful, it's like very placed and not, you know, it's important for us to see that wildness, you know, right. it definitely is. I've been noticing that uh, or just, you know, within myself, the un- the unease I feel when I'm in the city and I've realized looking at buildings and man-made objects is like it does something disjointed in my brain as opposed to looking at like the trees and the ocean and just, you know, nature's horizon instead of some man-made version. Yes, like this beautiful sanctuary you have here. Like the beautiful (laughs) sanctuary I have here. I know, it's nice to have both, but yeah, it's way beautiful here. Um, Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come and we'll wrap up and we'll see your, um, your words of wisdom for budding herbalists when we return. So this is Jessica Baker, and I'm back with Jane Bothwell, herbalist, practitioner, educator, and the director of the Dandelion Herbal Center up here in Neyland, California. Um, So Jane, we were just having a funny little talk about herbalism not being as wild as it used to be. So for those who have just become interested in herbalism, what are some words of wisdom? For those who either, you know, maybe want to make a career out of working with herbs, someone who just wants a deeper connection with plants, really anything you want to share that just, um, you know, inspires people to be with plants. Well, I think you've just got to get down with the plants. (laughs) And when I'm leading herb walks, and I say that to people all the time, it's like they're standing, you know, 10 feet away. I said, no, you can't learn over there. You need to come here. You need to get on the ground. You need to look at this plant. You need to look at how it grows. And for people as budding herbalists, I would say just follow your heart, which is exactly what is going to take you into the perfect direction that you need to go. And there's so many opportunities in 
herbalism right now. It's um, people are really acknowledging the many benefits of herbalism on so many levels. And I'd say the opportunities are really boundless in many, many areas and growing and being a practitioner and following it further, going to acupuncture school like you did, Jessica, becoming a naturopathic doctor or becoming very importantly, your community herbalist. It's really important for every community to have their local herbalist who knows the local plants, who knows the people, who helps the people. And there's so many conferences and courses and wonderful ways to immerse yourself in the world of healing plants. And so for those who may be interested in learning more from you, Mm -hmm. um, do you want to share your contact information for the Dandelion Herbal Center? Sure. It's uh, dandelionherb.com is our webpage. And our phone number is 707-442-8157. And those interested in learning more about the Medical Cannabis Conference, where can they find information out about that? Uh, Medicalcannabisconference.com and also on the Dandelion Herbal Center webpage. Um, Great. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Just keep ingesting green noise. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Jessica, for your show and for interviewing people and spreading this most valuable medicine. Thank you, Jane. I definitely appreciate you coming and joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Herb Walk podcast. And thank you, Jane Bothwell, for joining us. Download and subscribe the Herb Walk podcast on iTunes and Stitcher today. 